Hello and welcome, it's me Rodney Cyrus back with you one more time, it's On and Off The Pitch, a sporting podcast. It's a very special guest I have with me here, it's Alex Marr, the AFC Filed Women first team coach and we're going to find out a little bit about him and how he got into coaching women's football. Alex, how are you? I'm very well, thanks Rodney, thanks for, for talking to me. No, thank you for talking to me in these very strange and desperate times. No problem. <laughs> no worries. Um, obviously, you've been at home uh, like everyone else. Uh, and I want to get into that in a little bit of detail, but how have you coped just generally being, being away from football right now? You miss it. You find it's such a, a big part of your life, especially when you're, you're out training multiple nights a week and then suddenly that time's free. You find yourself itching to get out back on the field again. Uh, but more than that, just missing... Missing the camaraderie, you know, missing going down, seeing the seeing the ladies and seeing the other coaches and having that bit of banter. And uh, when it's a fun working environment, you do miss it when you're away from the field. Yeah, you know something? It's um, interesting when you say, everyone says the same thing about them missing the camaraderie. I mean, it's been a long time since I played football. So I kind of, I just about remember those moments. But I do know what you mean when you're in the thick of it and all of a sudden the football stops, and that usually comes about at the end of the season, that you might say, oh, I miss it, but because it's happened in the, the towards the end, it's, it's it's has a very different feel to how things are in terms of football in general. You know, for me, what I see for me, and I'm sure that's for you and everyone else. Um, what I want to know in terms of, of you as a, as a first-team coach, how did you get into um, being a coach in itself? How did you get into it? Uh, coaching something I came to quite late. Really, it wasn't uh, it wasn't planned. In that I went to went to America and did one of these, you know, soccer camp type things, uh, coaching over there, and found that I really enjoyed it. Whilst I was there, and whilst I was there, I did some volunteering with a team. Got um, asked to come back and set up a youth football club with another coach. So me and this other coach uh, moved to California. We were the directors of coaching and set up and, and grew this football club from nothing. Um, and that turned that into quite a successful club, quite a big club. And that was that was a great time. And then I've come back to the UK to do my coaching badges. And whilst I was here, I decided to, to move into women's football. It was something that coaching over there, I coached. I was director of coaching for the boys' teams, so under eights through under 18s. But I coached two girls' teams in addition and... Uh, I found that I really enjoyed coaching on the girls' side. It was something that I was really, really enjoying, really passionate about. And when I came back, it just so happened there was an opening at, at Chorley FC Women. Uh, I went down and put on a session for them there. And that's really how I started in, in coaching in uh, open-age football. So is it, is it I mean, so you, you started off kind of in America. What was the name of the team that you, you coached in America? So the club that we set up was called Saratoga Spurs. Uh, and that was teaming in Saratoga, California, so right at the tail end of Silicon Valley. And we set up two teams, the, the Spurs were the girls' side uh, and the overall club, and Saratoga Clash were the boys' side. And so we set up, uh, I think it turned into 14 teams in total, because it was under 8s through 18s on the boys' side, and under 8s through 16s on the girls. And we had... A group of coaches and uh, really myself and this other coach took over and really sort of grew the club from nothing. Mm. Um, 
What age were you when you started your, your journey into coaching? So I was 21 when I first went to America. And so I was 22 when I went back to do the director of coaching role. I was there for 18 months and I was 23, uh, so turned 24 when I first joined Charlie, Charlie Women and I'm 25 when I moved to Fylde. And, and, you know, now you're at Fylde uh, mm-hmm. and you're the first team coach. How has that been for you? How do you find being, you know, involved at that level in terms of uh, women's football? Has it been positive? Have there been some hurdles that you need to overcome? It's, it's brilliant. It's really fascinating, particularly at that level, uh, because obviously in women's football, the, we're in the third division, so the one below the championship, but at the same time, there's not the depth of players that there is in, in other roles. So you end up with a real mix of players. We've got players who've been in the WSL, and then we've got players who are working their way up the ladder on their, on their playing journey. So seeing that mix of, of experience and personalities and, and ability is, is really interesting to manage at, at this level. And it's been great at file. It's been particularly sort of challenging taking that step up because what people tend to not realise about women's football is the quality in coaching that they have in there. Um, we have our manager is, is UEFA A licensed and he's an excellent, excellent coach. And then we've got uh, part of the coaching staff. We have former player who's former international in Northern Ireland and played for Man City and she don't UEFA B licensed. So just the quality there is is amazing. It's such a good learning experience. Yeah. Who 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 are the former WSL players that are attached to your club? Who are they? Oh, yeah. Uh, Dan Young, who used to play for Manchester City, oh. and uh, Kimberly Turner, again, played for Manchester City. They both played uh, in the early 10s, so under under Nick Cushion. Okay. Now, obviously, you being a coach, you, you have kind of first-hand knowledge with the, the players that are there, and you get to see them day-to-day, or you did. You know, ha- have you been in contact with the players since uh, the break in the season due to the, the pandemic that's sweeping the planet? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, part of the the coaching role is you know supporting the players and particularly at a time like this where they need the support. So we've got the team WhatsApp and, and the staff WhatsApp and uh, coaches are getting together trying to put together plans for players to stay fit, things they can work on at home, but mostly just sort of emotional support. You don't want anybody to feel like they're alone when they're in this period of isolation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're still a team and still got responsibility to support everybody. Yeah, and the mental health aspect of, of football, people kind of, they say, they talk about it, but in, it's not always at the forefront of everyone's mind. And I think right now, the role that you and the other managers have within the setup is really key because you have to do this every single day for every single member of your club. It, that, must be, that must be a drain on you as well. Absolutely, but it doesn't feel like a, a chore or even an obligation um, when you have... A fantastic team spirit like we do at Fylde. It really is a close-knit group and it's not like you're, you're having to look out for somebody. It's that you want to look out for them because uh, you do care about that team atmosphere and, and the players in the team. Yeah. Do you know, with regards to the mental health, and not to kind of dwell on it, but I think with footballers and, and, and football managers and the first team coach like yourself, you know, you, you go through the rigmarole of go, doing your badges and your and your um, coaching, but you know, are there specialists attached to the club, and are those specialists now, you know, is there a greater need for them to be available to the players? 
because you guys, as much as you want to check in on players in terms of their mental health, there'll be some players that probably need a specialist approach as well. Uh, there is there's always players that need a specialist approach, and part of that is as coaches identifying any any issues or warning signs. But generally, a lot of the support you can get when you've got a, a squad of twenty plus players plus uh, four coaches and members of the medical staff is you've got a, a really extensive support network there. Mm. And it's about everybody pitching in, doing their bit to to help everybody through it. And in terms of specialist help, we don't have anybody on on site or on the staff uh, as most teams don't in our league but we do have the the potential to identify and, and point them in the right direction if players need it yeah well do you know so everything's about finance and obviously as you said you don't have the the specialists on site but you do signpost players to those kind of um, services as, as anyone would because that's part of the mental health kind of umbrella that you know you pass on when the, the, the support or signpost pick players to the support that they can get some, somewhere else. Um, you know, before I go on to something else, I mean, how about you? Who checks in on you? <laughs> uh, this is where the, the staff is such a really good team. It's a team within itself and everybody supports each other. So we have, uh, obviously, our manager, assistant manager and goal game coach, and we talk extensively as before, but then our medical staff as well are brilliant. We have uh, two physios who, who run staff and then uh, students who come in and, and get work experience with them. And, you know, just knowing that you can turn to any of them at any point is a great, great boost. And we help each other through through a lot of different scenarios. Yeah. Do you know what, what, what I want to ask you about in terms of, um, obviously, being a first-team coach? You, do you do game analysis after a result with your players? Do you sit down with them or give them a videotape and say, let's look at this, what do you think went wrong? Or you know? Yeah, we do, especially when it's available. Uh, it's not always possible to get video at certain grounds and, and certain teams, but we do get video whenever possible. And it, it's of great benefit to players to be able to go back and show them because how players remember something might not be the same way that we saw it as coaches. And so clearing up that sort of ambiguity or, or mis miscommunication really gets everybody on the same page. So it, it's perfect being able to go back and show them the footage and say, in this scenario, this is what went wrong or this is what went right even, and this is why. Yeah, and how do they take it when they, they look back at the footage and say, I don't recall that being the case? Because if you say people have a different view of what they see and what actually happens. Yeah, it can be quite eye-opening for some players when they, because they have a perception in their mind that they've built up and potentially built up over a long time of how they play the game and uh, whether they misjudged something or whether there was a mistake or, or even something that they didn't realise. It can be a real eye-opener to them. And uh, some players, same with, with any sort of coaching, some players will receive it better than others, but generally it's it's brilliant form of feedback for the players where they can look at it and go, right, there's the evidence uh, I can't argue with that. And it's important as well when you do video analysis not to be negative all the time because it's so easy to pick out mistakes all the time. It's a great way of feeding back to players and saying, this is something you did really well and this is what we want to see more of. You know, that's that's so good. You know, I've worked in education uh, for quite some time and uh, whenever you had to give feedback to a, a pupil, it was always the same. You know, you'd say uh, you, one thing, you know, three stars and a wish, you know. Yeah. 
three great things and I wish you'd added this or I wish, you know, so you, you, the, you boost the ego, you massage it, you promote, you know, be positive, but then say it could be even better if you did this. And uh, I suppose it's no different when you're talking about sport at any level that you're able to use the video analysis and say, this is what we think was great. But if you looked at that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, too many coaches and managers, especially at, at the senior level, or open age level, t tend to think that because it's adults, it's okay to go in and just criticize constantly. And this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. And there's a place for it and a time and place for it, but there's a way of doing it as well. These players still need confidence. They still need their, their ego strokes every now and again. And it's important to acknowledge when somebody does something well. Yeah. Um, like I say, we all need our ego strokes. <laughs> I think it's... And coaches. I'm surprised the players haven't come back and said, that thing you asked us to do, it didn't work. You know? Yeah, they do? Yeah, we get times when uh, they say, "What, well, what were you thinking with this one, or why was, why did we do this?" Uh, and that's where you need to make sure you have your answers ready. But um, it, it works in the positive sense as well. When, when you make a change or you you did work on something in training, it comes off in a game, yeah. and then everybody gets a great feel. They, they, yeah, they celebrate a goal, and and you're just left standing on the side lines, going, "Yeah, that was all down to me. Thanks, guys." <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Um, you know, where are uh, AFC filed in the league and how's their campaign been so far? So, AFC filed, we're, we're currently in the mid-table, mid lower mid-table, but with games in hand. Um, so, as an as entire season campaign, it's obviously been a little bit disappointing, to be honest, because we're a very ambitious club and we've got a lot of people who who want to win and have that desire to be, be the best team in the division. Uh, so... As I say, we've got a great group of players and a great group of staff. And if that wasn't the case, then maybe we wouldn't feel as disappointed. But this is a season where we didn't quite live up to ourselves, but that just gives you that hunger for next season even more where the players are raring to go and, and have another crack at it. Yeah. You know, with the current scenario in terms of uh, the absence of games, where, where do you see, in terms of women's football generally, do you see it going after when it returns and how do you think things will be for AFC Fylde in terms of their league position, where they go forward and generally financially as well? The, this is going to have a, a really big impact specifically in the women's game because it comes down to finances at the end of the day. Uh, nobody wants the league to be called off and nobody ever wants that. It, it leaves a bad taste in the mouth when there's that level of uncertainty over, well, we could have won that game, we could have won that game, or and every team in the league feels that. So everybody wants to finish it. Uh, with women's football, the, the sort of benefit is that because it's a shorter season, running over into summer wouldn't impact too much. That one, but especially at this level in the third division where pretty much every club is, is semi-professional, then you're looking at players being, contract being extended and, and being paid into summer that wasn't budgeted for before. So... I think some clubs might find that difficult and it's up to the league to to ensure that they you know, stand by every club and make sure they don't put any club at jeopardy in, in doing that. But at the end of the day, everybody wants to play the rest of the, the games, even if that means a couple of midweek fixtures and, and try and condense the rest of the league. I'm glad you said that, you know, a lot of the teams want to finish the league because they don't want to second guess 
games that have been called off and you know you then get into that kind of uh, conversation where people are looking at what happened previously and then trying to base a result on something that hasn't happened um, would you really if it came to it and this is a question that I've put to other fans in terms of uh, WSL clubs and FA Championship clubs if it came to it and the games needed to be played behind closed doors would you be okay with that as a coach or do you need the fans there uh, as a coach, personally, I'd, I'd be happy to do it in terms of play because the most important thing for me is getting the games played. Uh, with women's football, the majority of the fans are, are supporters of, of players or families, friends, and um, even we do have a few club supporters who come and travel. We have one guy who travels all the way up from the Midlands every week to come up and watch us, which is fantastic. I love seeing him in the, in the car park for a game. But uh, for the for the fans, the most important thing is getting the games played and getting a proper resolution to the league. So if that means fans missing a few games, that's something that we have to look at. Uh, but also, again, the financial aspect of it. Can these women's clubs go without the game revenue for eight or nine games that some of the teams have left to play? Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a very difficult time for the, for the women's game in terms of the, the, the kind of almost postponement of the league. I'm, I'm of a strong belief that the, the games need to be played regardless of whether the fans are there or not. And for those clubs that have the ability to either live stream games or they can be on the FA player because they've shown um, at WSL games, FA Championship games, you know, maybe they can extend it and go beyond. Maybe there could be someone who could follow teams at every level and just say, we're going to record the game and show it so that, that fans still have this access. Because I'm... I'm you know, with everything that's happening, it, it would be too soon for me for fans to go back to a game when we're not really sure of what's happening. And I think from a footballing sense, in terms of a business sense for, for, for the sport and the players that want to see things resolved, it makes total sense to play things behind closed doors. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those few voices that probably stand alone and everyone says no without fans Football doesn't mean anything, but you know. But when you, I suppose, when you're playing and as a fan, that is understandable. But as your, as a manager, you have a different view, and you're thinking, we need the results, we need the league table to say this is where we finished officially, and we've got unfinished business as well. So yeah, I think uh, particularly the first and foremost, the most important thing is the safety, particularly the the players and and of the coaches and and of any fans who were there. So it's, we have the responsibility, the duty of care to make sure that if it's not safe, then games aren't going ahead. But I think that's also a great opportunity. And I mentioned the, the league table resolution. Was the fact we, we feel like we're better than our league position, so we want to be able to prove that over the last few games, especially with a couple of additions we made in the last few weeks. So that'd be great. But it's also a great opportunity for the women's game. I know you said live streaming. Uh, and if that's something that was a possibility that's something I think that the league should really throw their weight behind because it's a fantastic opportunity to grow the game you get a certain amount of fans in person each week but women's games always play two o'clock on a Sunday which is prime TV viewing for men's football that'll be you know Man United Arsenal on Sky Sports something so you straight away you're losing a massive fan base if you can live stream these games now it'll be a potential opportunity to grow the game and and get people to watch women's football that haven't been watching before yeah you know, you say something which has not been said to me before in terms of live streaming the games. It makes total, it makes absolutely total sense. 
for that to be there because obviously on Sundays we know that Sky Sports, you know, they have the monopoly on, on games that everyone wants to watch and they're, they're, you're competing with fans for a, for a sport that they'll love and they're going to go where the masses are. That's just, uh, just one of those things. Uh, in terms of what you're going to do uh, for the rest of this week and next week and the week after, what are the plans for you and, and the girls and how you're going to kind of keep going? Um, and do you have any special games online that you're going to <laughs> put into place? for them to yeah. take part uh, in. The girls have been fantastic. Like the, the team WhatsApp has been blowing up every day with different things, the toilet roll challenge and they're putting in different uh, emoji quizzes and all all sorts. So they're the, the girls are doing a really good job of keeping every spirits up and keeping that team camaraderie throughout the is so tough when you're not seeing each other it, it's easy to to drift and then you lose that team chemistry and that team spirit but uh, you can see there's really a genuine feeling between them. So I'm really happy with that. And as, as coaches as well, we're organising um, virtual get-togethers and, and we're looking to do some, some session planning and things that you don't necessarily have time for during the season. And obviously, you find yourself with, with jobs and training and with games coming up every week. And certain things can, can get away from you. So now it's actually the best time to take a step back, make the most of it and, and review things and, and plan ahead and plan ahead and, and i hope that goes well in terms of the online platforms whether it's zoom or skype or whatever else you're using uh, that's going to be good uh, you support a particular team away from women's football who do you support because i you I, I everyone knows i support manchester United. who do you support i'm an arsenal fan and you're based in the north of the country yeah i was born in london and moved up to bolton when i was when i was two so uh, it's a tenuous connection, but I've supported them through thick and thin. It's not necessarily easy being the only Arsenal fan in your school in bowling. <laughs> Sorry, that must have been that must have been so difficult. The only Arsenal fan in your school. Yeah, well, obviously in Bolton there's a lot of Man United fans, and then a few Liverpool fans, and the rest are, are Bolton. So it it got a little bit heated around the the Wenger Fergie rivalry. Okay. I used to be standing in my corner during the games, but it's it's brilliant. I don't think there's anything quite like being a fan of a team and and having that passion for it. You can't yeah. get it with anything else. You can't indeed. Uh, and before we kind of wrap things up, I mean, obviously you're involved in in football uh, in the third tier. Uh, do you follow the WSL at all? Do you you know is there any team that you're interested in and you say yeah they're good or you know, is there a player that has stood out for you and said, I like what they do? Yeah, well, as a coach, obviously, you follow the league uh, generally because just for the, the benefit of women's football, the promotion of the WSL is only a good thing for, for women's football in general. Um, but also because you do get some very interesting games. You get some fantastic games. I went to watch uh, Man City, Arsenal earlier in the season. Unfortunately, Arsenal lost. I still follow Arsenal in the women's game. <laughs> of well, course. Yeah, and so my favourite players, Vivian Miedemar, she's she's unbelievable. Yeah, she's she's a top quality striker. She is a very good, a very good striker. I actually did go and watch the um, Arsenal Chelsea game. Uh, as soon as the fixtures were set, I thought, well, I need to be there. Uh, Sam Kerr, the, uh, Vivian Miedemar there, and I thought, yes, this will be something. But they both had quite a quiet game, but it was a very good game overall. 
They're, yeah, they're they're generally the, the quality, especially among the top teams, because there's a bit of a gulf between the top and the bottom of the league. But when you see the top teams go against each other, it's really the highest quality football you're going to get at, at that sort of price, at that sort of level. Yeah, it, it really is. You know, I'm going to say that we have kind of covered everything and I'm really glad that I was able to to, to talk with you about your journey into women's football and obviously about what you're doing. And, you know, it's a very difficult time for everyone because everyone's really just at home twiddling their phones. There's only so many times you can actually go, what's on Netflix? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd urge anybody, if you've got a bit of time, take some look at the WSL highlights from last season and this season and take a look and you might find yourself enjoying it and find a new fan of the game. Uh, there you go. So you've heard it from the inside out. A coach who is interested in promoting the WSL. If only the FA player had teams at every level on that device, then we'd see more. And then people probably would be even more interested in watching women's football instead of it just being aimed at the top clubs. But I'm really glad you were able to come on, Alex, and uh, share with us uh, how you got into women's football coaching and what you're doing right now. Thank you very much. Prom, thanks a lot. Any time. And I hope you've got a, uh, a new Fylde fan here now. <laughs> actually, you know what? I'm, I'm, I've actually started to look and see where they were in the league. And I thought, okay, you know, uh, just near the middle of the table, fixed can go. And what I did realise, because I did look at your statistics, I had to say, you were on fire in this season from late September, October. Really good results. And then it kind yeah. of just fell away. Yeah, yeah, it was it was disappointing, but as soon as we hit that streak again, then the rest, rest of the division needs to watch out. Yeah, there's a team in your league you don't like. It's, it's either Sunderland or Nottingham Forest. I think you owe them a heavy scoreline. Sunderland, yeah, they uh, we beat them three times last year. They beat us three times this year, so it's a good little rivalry. But they're a good team. Yeah, they're a, they're a good team. But anyway, um, I will pay attention to Wild and see where they are, and I'll check in with you again to to make sure that they're doing well. Who knows, I'll get you back on as well. It's been really good speaking to you. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, th that was Alex Marr from the AFC Filed, get that right, uh, women's team, first team coach. I'm Rodney Cyrus. This is On and Off the Pitch. Please make sure you, you like, share and subscribe. And I'll see you guys very soon. Bye for now.